Would you say a prayer with me before we look at the scriptures this morning? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're grateful that whenever we're gathered together, you are here with us. Our lives uh, are desperate for your presence, so we're grateful to be gathered together and be able to experience you together. To your love, your grace, your mercy, your challenge to us, your correction, your encouragement to be sent out by you into the world that you love. As Stephanie prayed earlier, God, we pray for those who are affected by the hurricanes and other natural disasters this week, even this morning. We pray your spiritual, supernatural protection over people. We pray for help to come from all different angles. God, that we pray that you would show us uh, role, any role that we can play in supporting people during this hard time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're starting a new conversation this morning called For the Sake of the World. And it is aimed at us having a conversation about how God views the world and what Christians' relationship to the world should be and specifically how that influences the way you think about your work. So one of our mission priorities this year at Mill City Church has been try to help you think about and try some new things in terms of how you see God in your daily work life. Because many of you spend way more time at work than doing anything else. And we think it's one of the primary places where God is inviting you to live out your faith as a Christian person. And so we're going to be having some of those conversations here over the next few weeks. But I want to start it by asking a question. Is the world, when you think about the world, however you want to define it, okay? When you hear the words, the world, do you think about the world as being mostly good or mostly bad? Okay, take a second to think about it. Do you think about the world being mostly good or mostly bad? All right, here's two different descriptions to sort of help you. Maybe this is how you think about it. The world is a really tough place. There are hurricanes and earthquakes, wars and threats of war, famine and hunger and poverty. People seem to have no interest in God or church. And the moral fabric of society is on the decline and things are getting worse. That's the world is mostly bad, right? Okay, or maybe you think about it like this. The world is a really good place. God has created a planet full of diverse people and places. Despite many challenges, people are hungry for the world to be a better place, and many people are working to make it so. Millions of people work daily to help address the world's deepest problems, and the next generation in the U.S. seems more motivated than ever to pursue what is good and beautiful. Shout out to the millennials. You guys... You guys get a bad rap sometimes. So do you think the world is mostly good or mostly bad? Hold on to that question for a minute. Whatever you think about the world, it dramatically affects the way you think of your life in the world. It has a lot of implications for how you see your work, how you see your relationships, how you see your spiritually, spiritual life. If you think the world is mostly good, you're probably motivated to help make it better. If you think the world is mostly bad, you're probably motivated to help others escape the negative effects of the bad things in the world. It also has all kinds of implications for different questions you ask in different stages of life. So I was thinking, if you're getting ready to send a kid off to college, 
and you're worried about how it is that they're going to live in the real world, and you're considering different options for colleges, like do I send my kid to a Christian school? Do I send my kid to a not necessarily Christian school? How are they going to interact with different communities? Is the world mostly good or mostly bad? How do I make that decision? Well, inf- that will influence how you make that decision. It may influence the way that you go into work in the morning. If you go into your work and you think the world's mostly bad, you might just be trying to protect yourself in your workplace while you're there. If you think it's mostly good, you might have this different attitude towards what it is you're trying to accomplish in your workplace. Maybe you think your workplace is mostly good or mostly bad, and that influences the way that you behave in those spaces. It might influence the way you think about your relationships in whether or not you spend most of your time with Christian people or non-Christian people. Is it more important for you to build relationships in either of those social categories? And it might influence the way you think about conserving the world's resources. If you think the world is mostly bad and it's going to get worse, it might not be as important to conserve the world's resources. If you think it's mostly good, and you, then you might be more motivated to care for the earth. Back and forth, back and forth, these different conversations and questions go depending on how you see the world. So my question for this series, this conversation we're having over the next couple weeks is, what is the role of Christians, it'll be on the screen for you, what is the role of Christians in our relationship to the world? This is a very, very important theological question. If you Depending on your perspective on this, you're going to behave in all sorts of different ways. So I want to start to try to answer this question, if you can leave it up there for just a minute, by giving you a brief biblical overview, an overarching summary of the story of the Bible. So in the beginning of Scripture, in Genesis 1 and 2, God gives, God creates the world, creates us, and gives us responsibility in the world, right? God says to us, I'm placing you here so you can care and steward what I've created. You have authority. You can name things. You can shape the world. You can make something of the world. I've given you gifts and autonomy. And this is, this is your playground. I've created it for you. It's perfect. It fits you. You have, uh, you have the opportunity to be creative and create things in this space. And then in Genesis chapter 3, sin breaks into the story. And somehow we become convinced that that's not enough for us. That maybe we should be on the same plane as God. Maybe we should be God in some way, shape, or form. And then the world, as God designed it, is distorted by us trying to make something else God than just worshiping the God who created the world. In in some response to that sin entering the world, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham and says, I'm going to take your little family and I'm going to grow it, and I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the rest of the world. And that launches a whole story throughout the Old Testament of God taking one group of people, giving them blessing, revealing who God is to them, and sending them out to be a blessing to every other person in the world. And they sometimes embrace that identity, and they sometimes reject that identity, and it's back and forth in the Old Testament until Jesus comes And in John chapter 3, we're told that God the Father sends his son because he loved the world so much that he was willing to give his only son 
that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. And in fact, he doesn't send his son in verse 17 to condemn the world that he created, but to save the world through Jesus. So God worked through his son to bring salvation to the entire world. God's mission is to save the world that God loves. And as the church is born, we are called to be part of this salvation project that God is on through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit until Jesus returns and the world is recreated the way that God intended it without the effects of sin or evil. So when you look at the world in Scripture, you realize that it's both good and bad. It's good in the sense that it has the stamp of God's creation on it. God intended it and created it as good. It has been distorted and messed up by sin. But God has not given up on the world. In fact, God loved the world so much that he sends his son to come and save the world through him. And so we have to understand our identity, our calling as Christian people who have been rescued by the love of Jesus Christ on the cross and his death and his resurrection, as people who have a role to play in saving the world. I'm going to read you this text in John chapter 17 that will be familiar to some of you and new to others. It's a prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples right before he leaves them for the last time. And he, and he prays specifically for the disciples that they would understand their relationship with the world. So I'm going to do a, just a few verse reading of this for you and help you understand what our relationship to the world is supposed to be. Verse 13 in chapter 17 of John. He says, I'm coming to you now. Jesus is talking to his Father. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Leave that first slide up for me for a second. I want to talk about those first few verses. So Jesus is praying, and he says, I've given your word, your truth, to these people, to these disciples. They've received it. They've accepted it. And therefore, they're not of the world anymore the same way that I'm not of the world. So in case this sounds like Dr. Seuss to you, let's unpack this just a little bit. What Jesus is saying here is, look, I, I existed before the creation of the world. In fact, the world was created through Jesus by God speaking it into existence. So he says, I'm not from here. I'm an alien to this place. And I was sent here by the Father to save it, to offer salvation to everyone in the world. And these people who I've shared my identity with, the word of truth that Jesus is the Son of God, I've shared that with them, and they've received it. And now they're transformed. They're changed. They're different people. They see their identity 
as different people. They're no longer just people wandering around in the world trying to make the best out of it. They're people who identify themselves as children of God through their faith in me. So now their whole life looks different, and therefore, they're not of the world in the same way that they were before. Now, there's a, there's a Christianese saying. If you don't speak Christianese, here's a little lesson. There's a Christianese saying from this same text that says that Christians are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Anybody know that one? Some of you speak Christianese. Okay. As I'm looking at this and thinking about it, I think that phrase is actually really problematic. Okay, here's why. To say that you and I are in the world is kind of like saying, well, we're all here at Sheridan right now. It's not a real insightful comment, right? Everyone in the world is in the world. Wow, that's... And when you start with that phrase, well, Christians are in the world. First, no one's blown away. Secondly, you have to move from there to somewhere. So it says we're in the world, but we're not of the world, which implies some kind of judgment on the world, right? And a distancing from the world. So we're here, but we really don't want to be here. And we're not like everybody else. So we're just going to kind of try to spend our lives keeping our distance from the world. And frankly, that's how a lot of church communities end up thinking about their role in the world. We're just going to huddle up as Christians and kind of hang out together and read some books and eat some donuts until Jesus comes back. Weren't the donuts good today, though? Some of you had the donuts? Yeah, seriously good. So if we're just, we're here, but we're not really the same, we're visiting, so we're just going to hang out at the hotel until it's time to go home. That's not what I, I just don't think that the phrase captures what John is saying Jesus was praying for here. And so I want to propose an alternative, all right? I think what Jesus starts saying here is, you are set apart because of your faith in me, because I'm not from here and you now have faith and trust in me to, to guide your life, to shape your life and your self-understanding, you're set apart in the world in a way that not everybody is. And this is what I've been saying for the last few months to us as a church. In this season of the 21st century, we desperately need Christian people to be Christian people in the world, to be distinctly Christian people, to not just give in to whatever categories everybody wants to label people with, and say, what's a distinctly Christian response to whatever we're facing? Not just a conservative response or a liberal response, but what's a Christian response? What's a response based on faith in Jesus look like in whatever situation we're facing? That's what the world needs. Jesus is saying, you're not, you're not of this place anymore because I've set you apart. I've made you holy. Holiness means to be set apart. I have consecrated, dedicated you. I have, I have um, a, recruited you to be part of this team of people who is going to bear my name to the world. You're set apart. All right? And then he goes on to say, but I'm not praying that you would be taken out of the world. I could pray that, but I'm not praying that. I'm not praying that you would just extract yourself from society 
and be taken out of the world until I return? That's not my prayer. In fact, I'm praying for you to be protected from evil because I'm sending you back in to the fray the same way that I was sent into the fray by my father. So wouldn't it make much more sense if the phrase was, we were set apart and sent into? Rather than saying, we're here, but we don't really want to be here and we're just going to try to hold off. No, Jesus has redefined us. Our faith in Christ has changed our lives. It gives us a different perspective on what, it, what life is about, what we want to teach our kids, what we want to do with our resources. Following Jesus is a whole way of life. We're set apart for that way of life. The way of life, though, is intended to be a blessing to the world that we all live in. And when Christians abdicate their responsibility to be a blessing to the entire world, the same way Israel was called to be a blessing to the entire world, then we fail to be the church in a world that so desperately needs to know that God is recklessly in love with it. And we become a lake trying to consume all of God's blessing in our own space when we're supposed to be a river through which the blessing flows into the world that so desperately needs to know that God has done everything possible to convince people of God's love for them. And so if we don't understand ourselves as set apart in order to be sent into the world, then we fundamentally misunderstand what we're doing here. I would go so far as to say, we cannot under, understand ourselves as in, but not of the world. That's wrong. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you're in the club now, and you're not like those people, so keep your distance. The guy goes right into the midst of the people who hate him and offers his life to try to reconcile them back into relationship with the God who created them. That's the exact opposite of in, but not of. He, yes, calls us to be set apart, but then he calls us to be sent into the world that he so desperately loves. So let's talk about how being set apart and sent into the world influences the way you think about your work. Okay? So think about your work, whether you are a stay-at-home parent, whether you are caring for somebody in your life, whether you're paid to come to work every day in any industry, at Mill City Church, we care a lot about helping equip you to identify what God's doing through your work, through your school. If you're a student, if you're a kid in school and you're going to your classroom, we want to help you ask the questions. What is God doing in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you're investing your energy and your resources? What is God doing in those spaces in the world that God loves? And what's your role that you're supposed to play. A couple of weeks ago, at the end of the service, we commissioned all the teachers and the students who are coming back to school, going back to school. And that was because we believe that as much work uh, as happens here on Sunday morning is happening through your life every day when you enter into those places where there are battles taking place, aren't there? There are battles between good and evil taking place in all those spaces. There are politics in your job. There are relationships that are breaking down. There are ethical questions that are being well-addressed and not well-addressed. There are ways in which you can use your work to build up God's reputation and show the love of God to the world. And there are ways that you can selfishly use your work to build your own kingdom. 
And so every day, whatever your work might be, whether it's paid or unpaid, you have a calling from God to enter into that space and see that as the place that God will use you and your faith to bring more people into relationship with the God who loves them. I was thinking specifically about some people that I know who go into their work and they have a really different perspective on what they're doing in their job. And here's kind of the secret behind some of their success, I think. So the commonplace understanding when you get up tomorrow is to go to your job. Someone will probably say to you, if you work tomorrow, oh my gosh, it's Monday. Can you believe it's Monday again? I just, a guy said this to me last week, I just wish it was Friday. What if, if every day you felt like you just wished it was Friday? Some of you maybe do. I just wish it was Friday. And they'll get to Wednesday. What do people say on Wednesdays? Oh, it's hump day. We're halfway there. I wish it was Friday. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but work life can be very mundane. It can be mostly about just trying to make enough money to pay for the things that you've already bought. Yeah? I'm on a payment plan. I got to make this, make this payment. It can be mostly about people providing for their families. Maybe they're doing something they don't like. Work is really hard. It's one of the hardest things that we're called to do in life. It can also be really good. But the people who have more success, I think, have a different perspective on why they're working at all. So they somehow move beyond thinking of it as like a survival thing that they have to do in order to go to the next job or make the next payment or whatever. And, and they're able to sort of invite God into it in a different way. So James Abraham, who's a doctor at the Uni University of Minnesota and on our leadership team, he told this great story a couple of years ago about how he started to learn when he was walking into a patient's office, I'm sorry, a, a patient's room, he would just pause for a second and he used grabbing the handle of the door as a reminder to pray to see what God was doing in the life of the person he was about to talk to. And just that one simple change of perspective that maybe God is going to use me right now in the life of somebody else in the midst of my work day to do something that maybe nobody else will have the chance to do today. And I need a spiritual reminder like praying when I grab a door handle for two seconds to help me remember that I'm playing a role in the way in which God is trying to love the world back into relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And so these people have a different perspective. They're not just going to work to go to work. They're going knowing they've been given some opportunity, they've been given some gift, they've been given some responsibility. There are people that they interact with every day. There's work that matters to God. There are decisions that are going to be made that affect a lot of people in their workplace. And all of those things can be used for the glory of God, even in a non-Christian space. Maybe, maybe more so in a non-Christian space, right? And if all of us embrace our work, if we love it, if we hate it, if we're just trying to survive it, as an opportunity to be part of God's salvation of the world— we enter into it in a really different way. But that requires that we have to know that the world is first and foremost a place where battles between good and evil take place all the time. 
And you, as Christian people, have been set apart by God because of your faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that you have in him, that you no longer have to be subject to the power of sin and evil in your life. Jesus has already won that victory on your behalf. So now we're sent back into the world in order to be part of what God is doing to save everything that God created and help it become more like what God intended. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world and at different moments, highlighting what it's gonna be like when sin and evil are ultimately defeated. But we don't have to pretend like we're playing by the same rules as everybody else. Because we already have faith in Christ and sin and evil don't have the same power over us. In Jesus' name, we have power to say, let the things that are broken be mended. Let the things that are not of God be realigned so that God is honored by the way in which we're doing this. And your workplace, your place that you spend most of your time and energy every week is the primary place where I think we get to live this out in the 21st century. That world is desperate to know that there's something more than working for Friday and making my next payment. Life has to be more than that, doesn't it? Someone agree with me, please. Let me invite the band to come back up. We're gonna take communion this morning and I want you to think about communion in two parts. One, as you're walking up to take communion, it's an act of being set apart. It's remembering that you are set apart because what Jesus has done for you to receive God's forgiveness and calling and your identity. Once again, every week, a reminder of who you are. And then as you leave the communion table, there'll be people to pray for you on the walls. And even if you've never done this before, I encourage you to take a minute and let someone pray for you as you walk back to your seat. But as you turn away from the table, you can imagine that as the moment where you're sent into the world that God loves and desperately wants to reconcile and redeem and recreate. And every one of us is going through this transformation every week when we come to the communion table. It's a reminder that we're set apart, not because we own it, we earned it, because we deserve it, but because God has forgiven us graciously and called us sons and daughters. And then we all have a role to play as we turn and walk back to our seats and face the world that God loves. Pay attention to those opportunities this week in your workplace. And over the next few weeks, we'll talk more about how you can see those opportunities in your daily work. Let me pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we know that your heart breaks over the way that sin and evil and death have wreaked havoc on your intended creation. We're not naive, God, about the ways in which sin and evil are working in the world, but we do know that there's hope for that because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and our faith in him, that you can empower and equip us in small ways to pray for people, to engage in the world that you love in ways that call people back to you. So God, send Mill City Church out today. We're not just Mill City Church, God, when you gather us here. We are Mill City Church as you send us out into all the different vocations, work, people, neighborhoods that you have us in and make your name great through the ways that we partner with you in those everyday spaces. Because we know that while the world is a mess, you still love it. You love it enough to have sent your son to save it. 
God, help us to invite people into the grace and mercy that you offer all of us to be made whole as people who love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.